Welcome to The People's Show with Big Nazar and Randy Janda. Good afternoon, good afternoon. Happy Friday to you. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Vic Nazar, Randy Janda, Dominic Shermati running the show impeccably as always. And of course, you the people can always be part of the show. 650-650 in the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. The smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Randy Chanda, happy Friday. Happy Friday. Happy second day of training camp. Everything is happening. This is probably pretty close to my favorite time of the year. Things to get excited about. Especially as we get closer to that opening night, October 12th. It's on its way. It's going to be here before It's not we that know far it. away. I know, I know October 12th seems really far. and It's like, yeah. oh, still weeks away. It's not that far. Honestly, September just started. Like Things move fast, man. Once camp gets going, you're going to have games coming up here, preseason games. You're going to have, eventually, regular season games. We're going to be in the thick of hockey season before you know it. Feels like the season just ended, to be honest. And now here we are. The, the next season's already beginning. Time's a flat circle. Let's go. Well, we work in this business <laughs> for a reason, Vic. It's hockey season. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's a big day, Friday. You know, that means Confession Fridays. You can get those submissions in uh, real nice and early, uh, 6.50, 6.50. Uh, this one says, uh, please, no football today. First text in. Unfortunately, there will be football today for you. But Not me, fortunately for us. But uh, some days it's usually like, talk about other things instead of hockey. We had a text yesterday saying, thank God, time for some football. Take it easy in the hockey. You can never win in our situation, can you? Goes both ways. Goes both ways here. Uh, but, yeah, you can get those Confession Friday submissions in. 6.50, 6.50. We'll do that uh, closer to the end of the show. Also, pick six. We'll do the NFL preview as well. The people's picks. A lot going on. Plus, we're going to start doing this because, as you mentioned, October 12th. going to be here before you know it. Yep. We spend so much time focusing on what's happening here in Vancouver. But there's a playoff chase. Who are the Canucks sizing up against? So we're going to go to a market uh, in the Pacific Division, and also the contenders in the wild card spot leading up to October 12th. We'll check in with Calgary today. Eric Francis will join us from Sportsnet. See what's going on in uh, Flames Nation. And we'll tour the rest of the West as well. Kind of give you an idea of who the Canucks are stacking up against. The first opponent for the Vancouver Canucks in preseason. And also, like symbolically, Jonathan Huberto traded in and sold his supercars for a pickup truck. What? Yeah, that was the thing. He apparently had four supercars while he was in Florida. Because you got to have those by South Beach. Yeah, you you got to flex. Yeah. So you come to South Beach is just a different world. No, you come to Calgary. Yeah. He's got a pickup truck. That's a- is that what the Calgary Flames did by getting rid of Johnny Gaudreau? Did they trade in their supercar for a couple of pickup trucks? That's man. He knows how to endear himself to the market. I know he was on with uh, with Elliot and Jeff and and talking about uh, no, no, just uh, I wanted to show up at the Country Music Awards. It's, it's, I don't know, man. That PR I, game has been strong from, from Huberto. He, he's making all the right moves thus far. He knows what he's doing. Sounds he knows like what he he's wants doing. to be captain, maybe. Oh, I see. I see. I see you working there. Uh, 
yeah, we'll, we'll talk to Eric Francis at uh, 1230. Uh, coming up at 130, we'll talk to Greg Wyshynski. Plus, we'll have the usual hijinks uh, as audio comes in from Whistler, uh, day two of Vancouver Canucks camp. We will bring you that as well as players speak and meet with media. All right. Day two of Canucks training camp. Ongoing. No changes. They saw everything that they saw yesterday and said, you know what? We like it. Let's continue. Build that chemistry. Make sure we hit the ground running on October 12th at the start of the season. We talked a lot yesterday about Patterson, McKayev, Kuzmenko. Training camp is supposed to be about battles. We know some people are on the roster. They're solidified. There's roles that we can get into, obviously. But training camp traditionally of who can surprise, who's ready to take a step, who's impressed over the summer, and ready to make difficult decisions for the coaching staff. That's what a good training camp is supposed to be about. Make it tough on the coaches. There was a pairing that we didn't talk about yesterday, and we should talk about today. And it's a player a lot of people have been excited about. And you see where he was placed yesterday and continues today. It's Jack Rathbone paired with Luke Shen. Now, another pairing that people were interested in seeing where these players lined up was another defensive pairing, Travis Dermott and Tucker Pullman. What do these two pairings say about where these four respective players are right now? I look at this situation, and usually you look at players and you talk about a battle. Yeah, this pairing, I think Luke Shen is comfortable. Let's let's be 100% honest here. But he's valued. He's valued. He's going to be in a potentially a second pair rolling, uh, second pair, uh, you know, option. Or he's going to be in a situation where he's going to be moved down to the third. We've seen that in the past with the Luke Shen. Depending on who his partner is, he can pretty much play anywhere if it's Quinn Hughes, he's going to be on the first pair. And Luke Shen is thrilled to play anywhere. And, yeah, he's kind of like the big brother for young defensemen yeah. on the Vancouver Canucks. Right? Luke Shen can pair, play with anybody. But this is more of a question about Jack Rathbone. Is Jack Rathbone ready to be a full-time NHLer? And I look at this camp for him. You kind of know what you get with Dermot. Dermot's established. He's a guy that maybe not that established in Vancouver, but his track record in Toronto and what he's able to do. We kind of know where he's at. He's not going to maybe be a a second-pair guy, but he's a comfortable third-pair guy. He can move the puck. You know, he's going to take his chances. It's going to be occasional mistakes, but there's that ability to to skate and move the puck is there. With Jack Rathbone, can you find that consistency at the NHL level? Because he did have his cameo last year, made the team coming out of camp, but Vic, as we know, it was not a pretty situation. First few games of the year, it wasn't great for the Vancouver Canucks, but on top of that, you know, the team when he was on the ice had a sub-2% on-ice shooting percentage. And that speaks to more than Jack Rathbone, but we know there was issues 5-on-5 five five defensively. You grow into that as a defenseman. You, over time, sort that out. But this camp is a big one for him. This camp and preseason games is a big one for him. But even beyond that, remember, he played well in preseason games last year. It was the regular season. Once that started to go, that was a, a problem. So I think this camp, just to continue what he did in the AHL because when he got going there when he was healthy it was really good from Jack Rathbone but the way I look at these two pairings you got Rathbone and Shen right now and you've got Dermott and Pullman both of those sound like a third pairing to me Mm -hmm. now that you're the question is 
what kind of defenseman do you want there? Do you want potentially the high end with Jack Rathbone creating offense, or do you want a little bit more stability? Like, Dermot can create too, but do you want a little bit more stability on that left-hand side with a Dermot? Because I think Luke Shen's going to be there regardless, Mm -hmm. whether that's the second pairing or the third pairing. It's such an interesting dynamic to contrast these two different pairings because I think they're – the NHL experience is on the Dermot Pullman side. If you have to win one game today, you're probably trusting that one. Coaches just generally, habitually, are going to shade towards NHL experience. But the upside and the potential growth opportunity is in the Rathbone pairing because of the four of them, who's the most mobile? It's Jack Rathbone. Yeah. Dermot's a close second. Pullman's there as well. But it's Jack Rathbone. He moves just a little bit differently than these other four guys. But he's with also with the bodyguard type of he's going to be there to protect you, not just physically, but how you play the game. He's going to be your safety blanket. It is interesting, though, to see to, to for Jack Rathbone to be given this chance. Because you mentioned health. That was a has been an issue for Jack Rathbone in his career. I know Trent Cole, when he joined us uh, last year, uh, talked to us about, hey, him needing to stay healthy for stretches of time just to be able to get reps. But this is also a stage in his career where this is the time where you're supposed to make that jump into the NHL. You might be the seventh guy, but you're basically at a stage in your career where at 23, it's kind of let's figure out who you are at the NHL level. A couple of things to look out at the NHL level this year compared to last year. You mentioned Trent Cole is now an assistant and leading the defense at the NHL level. That should work in the favor of one Jack Rathbone a coach that trusts him, a coach that knows him, a coach that's gotten the best out of him last year. The other thing I would look at is when Jack Rathbone played in the NHL last year, who was the coach? Travis Green, different head coach. Bruce Boudreaux is a part of the mix now. He's the head coach in Vancouver. And when you look at Rathbone's game, what are the two things that stand out? Skating and the ability to create offense, shoot the puck. Historically, we know Bruce Boudreaux, if he has an opportunity, He's going to go for it. Look at that offensive, you know, firepower that he has. Having defensemen that kind of fit that mold is something that, especially in a third pair where you can limit their minutes, you can protect them a little bit. I think it works well for a Jack Rathbone. And you add a veteran defenseman, a guy that can stay at home and be comfortable back there and add that leadership with a Luke Shen. I think this is going to work well for one, you know, Jack Rathbone based on all of those factors. The Trent Cole one to me is important. Hey, you're running the defense, and you had this guy all year long through the ups and downs. The downs were the injuries, but as we went on, you know, we talked to Trent Cole multiple times last year on the Abbey Report, and one of the things that he said was, hey, with Jack, to your point, if he stays healthy, we just want to get a run mm-hmm. of games. He's, he's de- developing, and he's getting better every single practice, every single game. So I think for Rathbone's case, obviously he's got to do his work. He's got to show that he's capable of the NHL, but that's working in his favor. Now, on the other side... Well, let me put it to you this way. Mm -hmm. Which pairing... And look, these things can change, obviously. But which pairing would you rather see in the lineup? Like, which one is more reliable starting NHL games? I think the one that you trust and reliable is the key word. You'd still go with the guys with NHL experience based on the fact that... And that... See, see, that's it's a, tough so you know though, what? right? I was looking at the left-hand side, and if you look Rathbone versus Dermott, you're going to say, hey, Dermott's been there, done that. This guy's played games. Reliability also means health. Because it's, Luke Shen, to me, is yeah. more reliable than, 
A, on the ice, than Tucker Pullman, and health-wise as well. Yeah. Now, the logical thing here is, well, just put Dermot on the left, put Shen on the right. That's fine, but then you're not really getting Jack Rathbone into the lineup in that scenario, right? Yeah. And if you look at these four guys, to me, this is very much, as you said, a couple of third-pairing style groups here. At what point do we try to shoehorn Jack Rathbow in just to see what he has? Is it, If it's a run of five games, six games, just to see where you're at, then maybe you put him back in the A for some seasoning. You try to work out the, 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 the roster gymnastics later. But if you were to do Rathbone and Shen and you limit the minutes of Jack Rathbone, just to say 12, 13 minutes, because we've talked about is OEL Hughes just a situational thing? And the way to log more minutes then is Shen gets to play with Hughes defensively mm-hmm. and OEL and Hughes play in the offensive zone. So you still get to work all that out. There's probably more flexibility with Shen and Rathbone in the lineup. So you get the upside of Rathbone and you still get the comfortability of Shen. The Dermot Pullman one just feels like you're kind of locked into certain things. Yes. Now, some people might want to see Hughes and OEL play together all of the time, which is fine. I'm for that. But it also feels like you're limiting the ceiling then. Okay, let me ask you this question, though. If the OEL Hughes experiment is used sparingly or mm-hmm. used occasionally, and Luke Shen is playing with Quinn Hughes, who does Jack Rathbone play with then on the right-hand side? Who's the best fit there? Tyler Myers is not the guy I'm looking at. It's still probably Luke Shen. It, so the point is, yeah. you need Luke Shen in two spots there, essentially. Yeah. Which, if you go back to, you know... Hughes and, and Shen, I, I do wonder about who's going to be that partner, where Dermot gives you a little bit more flexibility. He can play with a Pullman. He could, I don't know if, I know a texter yesterday, Arden Vancouver, suggested Dermot and Myers. I'm not sure how I feel about that one. You could have Dermot with Shen. The high end is probably not there, but I think Dermot does give you a little bit more flexibility to say, this guy can play with almost, almost anybody, not quite everybody. Jack Rathbone and getting him ice time this year, Two schools of thought, though. Are you in a rush? No, I believe he is waivers exempt for one more season. So you don't necessarily need to make that call right now. But if you're trying to get the best out of a defenseman who, to your point, is not young in the sense that we're not talking about a 19 or 20-year-old. You know, he came from college, a little bit older. At what point do you want to see him getting iced at the NHL level? Probably pretty soon here. You probably want an idea of where you stand on this guy and is he able to make the cut. Like, it's a loaded left side in the sense that OEL and Hughes are there. But if you move Hughes out to the right-hand side, in theory, it gives you an opportunity to say, hey, man, this is your spot on the third pair. So is, is this just an importance to just get your six best D-men on the ice? Because that's the conversation, really. Who are your six best D-men, and can you get them on the ice? And just figure out the, the machinations of it later. Because in that reality, you're probably going to get four left-shot D-men. To me, it's about fit. Because even the last couple of years, we've seen, hey, Oliver ekman Larson, and Tyler Myers, good defensemen mm-hmm. together. They have their high points. They got a few low points. I want to see that fit there. And Luke Shen is a great fit for Jack Rathbone. But if Quinn Hughes and Oliver Ekman-Larsen is not the pairing that you stick full-time, then, Bick, we go back and say, where's that fit with Jack Rathbone? Who is that player that's going to play next to him? Do you want Tucker Pullman? Mm -hmm. If Tucker Pullman plays like he did last year at certain points where he's kind of playing a little bit more hero mode, I don't want that next to Jack Rathbone. Sure. Dermot can play the right-hand side. Maybe that's something that you experiment with and say, hey, you know, Travis Dermot takes a little bit more of a backseat when he's playing with a Jack Rathbone. Maybe that works, but that's a, a bit of a risk as well. But fit with Jack Rathbone is going to be really important here. I think Luke Chen, it's, it's a weird thing to say, 
but he, as a really adept defenseman, is pretty important to this team. So let's do this. Like, locks to play regular minutes here. We'll do this in order. Sure. Hughes, number one. With a bullet. Two is OEL. Sure. Three, Myers. You may not like it, but no. that is a fact, yeah. folks. Myers is three, right? Yep. You're not going to fight me on that one? No, no, I'm not going to fight you on that one. This is when it gets interesting now. Because per how they played at even strength last year, Travis Dermott played more even strength minutes than Luke Shen. Yeah. Tucker Pullman, even strength, played more minutes than Luke Shen last year. This is like where that battle starts coming in. Sure. And now we're trying to fit in Jack Rathbone because I think us and Canucks fans are all excited about the upside. There's been a lot of patience for a player like Jack Rathbone, but at some point people want to open up the the toy and see what is it, what exactly what it does. Who is fourth basically on this camp battle? I think Dermot and the way he was acquired. You know, they went for the younger defenseman. They made the move for Hamnick and sent it into Ottawa and, and got a, a steal of a deal in that regard. The way that you, I think you project Travis Dermot. He's not going to change the world. He's not going to be a, a game-changing defenseman, but he does offer things that this back end does not have. And that's why I would probably have him that four spot. I don't think he, in my opinion, mm-hmm. would be suited for top four minutes. But when you're talking about the hierarchy, Tucker Pullman, there's a lot of questions there. Legitimately, there's questions until he sees game action. We'll have to wait and see how he plays. And even when he was healthy, Vic, it wasn't like it was a slam dunk. He wasn't a, a surefire you know, option on that right-hand side. He was probably a, a third-pairing defenseman to begin with. So I would have Dermot there, probably have Shen right after. And Pullman, to me, is a big question mark. Now, to be fair, Pullman and Shen were neck and neck as far as these uh, situations here, as far as overall time on ice. So... I think a lot of people would shade towards Luke Shen in that scenario anyways. But it just goes to show that it, it's going to be tight between the, the this group and figuring out who four, five, and then six are because you can play with the machinations and you can explore um, Jack Rathbone's upside and even look at someone like uh, – and by the way, we haven't even mentioned Kyle Burroughs' name nope, in here. but not Danny DeKaiser either. Yeah. Who's a, who, if he makes his team, he's probably playing on the second pair with the Tyler Myers, mm-hmm. which – his role in the penalty kill, if he makes this team, is going to be a pretty significant one. So, you know, even the Dermot aspect yeah. might be knocked down a and, little bit. And Pullman as well, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's not just we've, – we've had this conversation about, like, fourth liners in past of, oh, Goldobin's good, but it, what role is he going to play him in? You need penalty killers. That conversation exists on the blue line right now too because Hughes, that penalty killing role we saw last year, that to me feels like break glass in case of emergency scenario where if injuries pile up, okay, we can – flex that back in and try it out. But that that role to me seems gone. It's your main penalty killers. OEL, Myers, Shen are your three primary ones. Who's going to find that next one? And Dan, Danny DeKaiser plays a big role in this as well. He does. And we got this text here from uh, Tiny Tim texting in. 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Why does Jack Rathbone give me Frankie Corrado vibes? There will be no Frankie Corrado slander on this uh, on this show. He's a friend of the show. But, okay. Well, it's not quite the same situation because that was a waiver issue and that was mishandled, obviously. And there was a difference in what kind of defenseman. Like, Frankie Corrado was sure. never that high end of a defenseman when it came to the offensive side of things, right? Even in the AHL when he played in Chicago and the Utica Comets, he was not 
you know, for his stretch of games, he was never going to get near the point totals that a Jack Rathbone, you know, five-point game Jack Rathbone had, <laughs> like, this past year. Uh, that's high-end defensemen. Now, I think it's a valid question to ask, how much hype is real hype? Like, how much of that hype is real? I think that's a valid question with any defenseman, where you're saying, okay, you can do this at the collegiate level, you can do this at the AHL level, but can you cope with the physicality? Can you cope with the defensive responsibility at the NHL level? And that's still a huge question that Jack Rathbone has to answer, where you're saying, offensively, kid, you can flex in the AHL, but in your cameo last year in the NHL, you weren't able to do the exact same thing. Roshan from Burnaby. Uh, Tiny Tim needs to go back to not talking after that terrible take. We welcome all the takes, okay? That's why we have Don't At Me Later. That's why you have full access to the inbox, 650-650. We want to hear from you. We welcome all the takes. But you don't have to like them all. No, Roshan, uh, <laughs> Roshan's come with the fire there. And Tiny Tim, uh, this is the people show. All people are welcome with their takes. We got this one. No, don't like that. Bo texting in with this one. Yeah, exactly. Uh, DeKaiser and Myers on third pairing would be perfect. And if Hoaglander goes down to Abby. Do we carry eight D-men? Why not? And Good to see that. That's the big picture look at everything, right? How do you make this all, the, like the 23-man roster work, not just the seven or eight D-men? My response to Bo on the DeKaiser-Myers on the third pairing would be perfect. It's great, but they might be the second pairing. Yeah, <laughs> The Canucks actually have three third pairings. Problem is, I don't know if they have a second pairing, a legit second pairing. Do we overvalue? I, I hate even saying this, but do we overvalue... Luke Shen. Because I think he works in the role next to Quinn Hughes. Yes. And so you can play, quote-unquote, top-pairing minutes. But does he fit with anyone else? And the only other person I imagine you're going to say is Jack Rathbone. But you're not really giving Jack Rathbone top No, you're not minutes. doing that. You're not doing that. And I think that's a valid question to ask, right? Like, look back at Luke Shen in Tampa Bay. On a lot of nights, he was essentially used as an extra. Mm-hmm. A lot of nights, he was, hey, Victor Hedman's going to double shift, and he's going to play with any right side D. Go through the right side D. Victor Hedman was playing with pretty much every single guy on any given night. Especially when they play with four D-men. Luke Shen comes to Vancouver, and your job is do your thing, play it simple, but this guy that's next to you, he's going to be doing a lot of the puck handling. He's going to do a lot of the chance creation. Let him do his thing. you got you got a job you need to do. You do it very well. But if you take him out of that role, Bick, it's not the same player, right? This kind of goes back to, and I use this example a lot, where Eric Carlson was special. Not to say Mark Mathot wasn't a good player, but if you put Mark Mathot next to any other player, we're not talking about Mark Mathot. Right. And Luke Shen is in that same situation where he's a good NHL player, but he's not playing first preparing minutes on any other team unless he's playing next to Adam Fox, unless he's playing next to Victor Hedman. And that's the reality. Uh, good player, team guy, heart and soul guy. But top four minutes is probably not a thing unless he's playing next to Quinn Hughes. Vic Nazar and Randy Janda. Good questions coming into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Keep getting them in. Also, some early Confession Friday submissions. Tag it with CF. We we'll always appreciate when you do that so we can go find it later. Uh, but we'll do that later on in the show. Big Six later as well. Uh, Jim Rutherford was on the station yesterday uh, making a bit of a ruckus. Saying a couple of things that uh, raised some eyebrows for some people, uh, including uh, right shot demon. But the thing uh, that was eyebrow raising for the most people, and for Canucks fans, and I imagine GMs across the league, the status of Bo Horvat. Is there less pressure on the Canucks to sort this one out? 
We'll get into that conversation on the other side. We'll play back what Jim Rutherford had to say with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shaw on Canuck Central. It's all coming up. You're listening to The People Show. Welcome back to The People's Show. Bick Nazar and Randeep Janda, Dominic Tremati, breaking out the tunes, running the show, coming to you live from the Kintech studio. What's this song called? It's like a uh, West Coast party jam from like the 90, 1990s. This, like DJ Quick would be rapping on the some, beat. Uh, like dollars and cents. Uh, dollars yeah. and cents, yeah. I want to say some like Montel Jordan vibes. Montel Jordan or like some G-Funk era, right. like Warren G kind of yeah. vibes to it. It's called Top to Bottom. Okay. Just Coolio vibes to it? No yeah. album name. No, no artist old, name? No artist name. Oh, okay. Just Top to Bottom. Okay. I actually got so much respect for, like, the rights-free artists. This stuff is pretty good. I don't know where Dom's found this stuff. Nobody else on this station plays the funky stuff that he comes out with. I, I just wonder, like, the... That was, like, knockoff G-Funk era music right there. If, if, if you're the musician, do you tell your friends that, like, hey, new album coming out? It's for right free music. <laughs> because, like, again, I have respect. It's like you're, you're following your passion. You're still making music. It's not stadium tours and albums and Spotify playlists, but you're still putting out music. Yeah, man. you got to start somewhere as well. Yeah. Shouts to the uh, rights free music people. I don't know who they are. I've never met one. But, but if you're out there, we see you. Because I've gone through the database and seen, like, all the songs, a bunch of the songs. And some of them have lyrics. So someone's writing this out and like, yeah. Oh, this is a great one for, for the APM people show. Music. The people show could be a big break for somebody. Yeah, I'm I'm here for it. All right, let's do it. We'll find the next chance. The rapper. Sure. That one. The people rapper. Work. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe maybe Bix favorite J Cole or J. Cole. Oh, I say chance because he started on SoundCloud. Okay. Really? You didn't know that? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's how he made it big. All right, we are gonna do our part. Shouts to whoever that artist was with that uh, G-Funk era. So, if you want to help out, text in sometimes. Be like, hey, what was that song? I got to Shazam that. Dom's our Shazam. You can always text it's right in. It's fr- rights free, so it wouldn't be on Shazam. It wouldn't be on Shazam. So, <laughs> right. So, we have to tell you. We Actually, you have yeah. to reach out and tell us. That's fair. If you uh, want some fire beats, listen to the People Show Pod. <laughs> uh, all right. Bick Nazar and Randy Janda. Uh, so, yesterday... On Canuck Central, you can go listen to that pod as well. Also listen to our subscribe, Spotify, Google, Apple, however you listen to your podcast. President Jim Rutherford. What was the, the nickname we came up with yesterday? Poho Jim. Uh, yeah, Poho Jim. Uh, he joined the show, started training camp, uh, said a bunch of things, including kind of an update on Bo Horvat. Uh, obviously, the contract looms over the organization right now. People want a resolution at some stage. We've talked about this, though, that there doesn't seem to be as much urgency from Canucks fans to want a resolution on this as much as the JT Miller one. Feels like people are comfortable letting this ride into the season. Uh, Is that something the Canucks are interested in, or do they want to tie up loose ends? Here's what Jim Rutherford had to say when he was on the station yesterday with Dan and Sat. Well, we're hopeful. You know, I mean, what Bo has said comes from his heart. He means that. He's been a Canuck his whole career. I think he'd like to stay that way. Um, we feel the same way. We would like to keep him. And uh, 
hopefully we can figure out a way to do that to make it work for both sides and and you're right my preference is not to have uh loose ends going into the season i've tried not to do that in the past and that's really the preference here so so hope hopefully we can get something done that's a part of the jim rutherford quote uh again that's the start of it yes so hopefully you get something done which provides a little bit of optimism. Yeah, which I feel is the the company line to say, hey, we we, we want to get something done. But look, there's challenges to getting this done. We talked about uh, a gap that might exist, and Frank Saravelli reporting uh, earlier this week that hey, maybe the initial offer started in the fives, and the the real offer, the real number is probably somewhere a bit higher. But you start where you start, and the the Horvat camp starts where they start, and you eventually work your way to the middle. But how, how big is that gap, and how sizable is that gap, and how long will it take to get to the middle? I think that's a big part of this conversation where, you know, that's kind of the, the business side of things where you're saying, hey, he's saying the right things, we're saying the right things, we hope there's a resolution. The business side of things, you know, you can find that number. But Bick, at the same time in that conversation, we'll get to this in a little bit, there was also some eyebrow-raising comments at the same time. And this is what I like about Jim Rutherford, where I think there are certain things he wants to get across. He you plays know, the game. Okay, let's let's be honest, right? Jim Benning was not exactly great at hiding things. Listen. When he got angry, hey, that's the one I missed yesterday, by the way. Remember we were talking about people getting angry at you? I oh, had right. I, I had Jim Benning yell, listen, yeah, that's right. during an interview at me. So that was one. He was not happy with my question about Tanner Pearson. Well, it's because you didn't have all the information, to be fair. That's fair. Me, Satin, Dan did not have all the information. But he was, you know, he, in terms of his communication, he, yeah. didn't, he didn't hide things all that much. Jim Rutherford is very direct in his own ways, but he's also pretty methodical in what he wants to get across. And there is that second part of that conversation that we'll get to in a little bit where it kind of makes you raise your eyebrows a little bit to say, all right. What is the value of Bo within the organization? Yes, you want him. Yes, he is your captain. But in terms of dollar value, and also the question, I think Richo asked the question about having a few different players in their 30s on the, on the squad. Like, is that something that you're mindful of? Is that something you're wor- worried about? And there was a, a little bit of honesty there from Jim Rutherford saying, hey, that's something you have to be careful with. And obviously, you keep an eye on that. But there's a couple of moments in that conversation yesterday saying, all right, a message is also being sent at the same time. Okay, well, you mentioned the over 30 contracts. How many guys are you worried about right now that they're going to be dedicating to over 30? Because right now it's really just uh, long term. Right now it's Miller and OEL. I know he mentioned, hey, we don't want a half dozen. They're really kind of positioned decently to not overextend themselves too much into over 30 contracts. Because... This Horvat one would be the next one you do, obviously. I think a part of it is also how many at that position do you want to be paying a, a premium, right? Which we can all talk a conversation about, you know, what that number is for Bo Horvat. Whether you think it's seven or north of seven, when you think it's in that six range, or based on you know the initial discussions, apparently that started with a five. But if you overall, and the way you want to build your team, in the here and now, having three centers that are paid. A fair bit of money is fine, but down the road, if you want to actually graduate somebody or acquire a younger center and commit less dollars to that long-term, Vic, 
we're talking about six, seven years from now, you know, those are things you have to keep an eye on. How much do you want to pay to aging players at that position? Because you're right, it's only uh, OEL and JT Miller at this point in time. But what is one of the things that this organization, going back a couple of years, has not been great at? Succession plans and premium positions. Center, right shot D. Right shot D, there's nobody coming up. The president of hockey operations basically said that himself. That's a separate clip we'll get to. The other thing is, the center position, beyond Bo Horvat, JT Miller, Elias Pedersen, who you got? Ain't nobody coming. Again, Ain't nobody short, coming, right? Short term, it looks nice. And you have two guys locked in for sure in JT Miller and Elias Pedersen. But in, in the here and now, you have strength for this season. But long term, there's nobody coming. It, it, in the short term, you want and you probably need Bo Horvat. I, I'm of the opinion you do based on that strength of your team. But here's the problem. If you lock in a player on a seven, eight-year deal with a no-movement clause, if you do have a player to graduate at some point in time, where are they going to graduate yeah. to? So, like, it, it is a similar conversation where it's in the short term, this is a go-now team. But in the long term, you do have to keep an eye on that of having too many guys tied in into their mid-30s. And uh, Rutherford did kind of reference that, that uh, over the summer, obviously there was some pressure, but getting one done uh, maybe alleviated some of the pressure. Here's what uh, Jim Rutherford had to say yesterday. But when you look at you look at Miller, he's been the best uh, player or the certainly the best forward for a number of years. Um, you don't you don't want to let your best player go. Uh, Bo's been a good player here, but one of the good things about having JT done is we were really concerned about what would happen if we lost both of them. And, uh, and so now with having one of them signed, it takes a little bit of the pressure off of the position that we're in. Takes a little bit of pressure off. You couldn't live in a world where you lose both. Yeah. Now, do you think that means this is also the leverage game though, right? Sure. This is the leverage game saying, Hey, we don't feel the need to be maybe as panicked as before. We got one answer. The team we're negotiating with now, yeah. the other side, just so you know, we're not stressing as much as we were a couple months ago. And, and to be fair, this is the game, right? So he says very calculatingly exactly that. Do you think he meant like lose both to free agency or lose both in the structure of the organization? I think it's – Free agency. I think it's. The, I, I think yeah. so too. I think it's the element of hey, we weren't sure maybe a couple of months ago, and now we have clarity. We signed our guy, and we know we got one player to play alongside Elias Patterson. Now, it's up to you. And this is where Pat Morrison and that crew is probably listening to say, okay, yeah, he's. They're not under pressure anymore. Now, does that work? I don't know. Pat Morris is not new to the game as well. He's been through hundreds, if not thousands, of negotiations. But this is what you do to kind of put that out there. Put that out in there to, A, the media, but also to the other side to say, hey, we got a good one-two punch. Now, what is that price? What is that annual average? What is that term? What is that, you know, the total money, figure. Total money yep. the guarantees? Oh, we don't know what the issue is specifically. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's on the back end of a potential deal. Do you have trade protection? Do you not? But this is one way to kind of twist the little gears a little bit more. Twist the screws a little bit more, right? Well, what's interesting, too, is Patrick Alvin has stated that this is not an organization anymore that's going to live in a world where unrestricted free agents go to market. So you can have a, a fear of, hey, we didn't want to lose both of these guys to free agency, but they've shown so far Tyler Mott, 
was dealt. Now, this is a different scale. Bo Horvat, JT Miller, totally different scale. But if this bleeds into the season, and if it goes towards March 3rd, as I believe the trade deadline, will this come to a resolution before then? And that's the conversation here. It's very much the ball is in the court of Horvat and his agency to say, how badly do you want to stay here? Because we're not under as much pressure as you think if you think we need to give a contract done. We have our top two centers locked in. Okay, I know it may not be all that close, but when you start looking at deadlines, I think Thanksgiving, probably October 10th before the season starts, is the real one to me. Sure. Where you're saying, do you want the noise? Because JT Miller, like he was an important player for this team. Yeah. But with Bo Horvat being drafted here, being the captain, that is, that's going to be next-level noise. N- not by this regime, I'd, I'd state. It, For sure, it, but it, my it, point it is in this market. In, it, yeah. in this market. I'm sure. talking strictly about noise, mm-hmm. right? Like, I, he is not the guy that they drafted. He's not the guy that signed the last, you know, contract with them. He is a player to them. He's their captain, as Rutherford has mentioned. But at the same time, it's going to be a, you know, very noisy Noisy situation if by the beginning of the year you don't have this thing done. Dan in Fort St. John texting in 650-650. I think the perception that fans aren't as worried about Horvat is because of the return that we thought might be possible if Miller moved. I don't think people think the return for Horvat would be in the same ballpark. Dan in Fort St. John. See, I entirely disagree. I think the return for Horvat, just based on the perception around the league, would net equal to or more than some of the things we were talking about with JT Miller. Okay, with JT Miller, though, we were still talking about a player that was producing at a high level. Now, yeah. Bull Horvat's a couple years younger. Age matters which, in this which helps. situation. And more of a natural center. We have our thoughts. We're in the fishbowl of Vancouver. I'm looking forward to chatting with Greg Wyshynski at 1.30 on this specific topic. We think what we think of Bo Horvat. Sometimes people say you hype him up. Sometimes people say, hey, you guys are too hard on him. What does the league think of a Bo Horvat? Any team, you know, reps that I've talked to, executives, it's a pretty glowing review, Mm -hmm. you know, across the league. Now, that's what I've heard through my conversations. That not that's not conclusive around the, you know, around the league, and it's not a it's not a scientifically proven survey, right? Honestly, it's the same thing for me. But I do wonder when we talk about prices, a dollar value in a contract, but also trade return. What is realistic? Because I feel, I understand that JT Miller is the older player. I understand that there's the, hey, he's never been, you know, can he keep this up was a How big thing. How many times have you seen me ask guests on this show, hey, do you think JT Miller is a franchise player? And it's no, no, yeah. no, no. I think that matches the perception across the league. Franchise centers, you know, generally speaking, get more than $8 million. It's a great contract for JT Miller, and it's a recognition of some of the things that he's done these past couple of years. I still think there's a level of skepticism across the league about JT Miller as a center and JT Miller at this age that it's like, hey, you kind of bloomed late. Sure. Which And that's a, that was a conversation that we had on this show. All about of the time. Would you commit eight years to said player? And I had my views. You had yours. So, yeah, I get that. The Bo Horvat one is also, but this is a real conversation. This is a real conversation here in Vancouver of would you commit to a guy that has a lot of miles on him and how much longer does he have this, this I guess, this level of activity? Or, you know, how much is he able to play with these miles on him, right? Or how much are you willing to commit? And I don't think it's necessarily a year conversation for me. I think it's a dollar figure. It's, unfortunately for a Bo Horvat, it may require a bit of humbling in the sense that 
you have to maybe be like, hey, this is my Ryan Nugent Hopkins moment, if right? He, wait, if you want to go that it, way. It would require humbling if he specifically wants to stay here. This is the point I was making on Monday. But, like, that's the Ryan Nugent yeah. Hopkins one. He could have gone to Columbus and probably made $7 million a year on maximum term. He could have got maybe the Nazem Kadri deal because a team like Columbus was desperate and saying, hey, we'll give you all the money. But he said no, 5.125. I'm okay with that eight years. Give me the, the trade protection. I want security. I want to win a Stanley Cup. It was also in a different time. It was, but COVID time and all that. There sort was of stuff. still talks yes. about he could have gone to market and got maybe six and a half or something mm-hmm. at le- thereabouts. He didn't do that. It's tough to walk away from Connor McDavid. Fair, <laughs> but you know that's a and that's a conversation that I'm sure that is going on, probably with the player himself and trying to figure out. Hey, does it make sense here? Does it make sense elsewhere? But it's not only about you know looking. It's about looking internally as well for the player. 650-650 will rattle off a couple of these texts. Some good one coming in here. This one's from Doug and Pomo. Uh, poor Moody. Uh, Rutherford and company will play out Horvat's contract until the end of the season or the trade deadline, depending on the Canucks' chances of making the playoffs. See, when we're talking about pressure, and if Jim Rutherford doesn't feel the pressure or the pressure is less because of they got JT Miller inked, if you play this out towards the deadline, I feel like that pressure ramps up for exactly what you're talking about, Doug. Oh, well, we're in the playoff chase. They can't, they're just not in a stage where they can risk doing this. Yeah. It made sense for Calgary. Hey, let's push this to the offseason. We're in a contender phase right now. This is still about rehabilitation of organizational assets. They can't go into this scenario, play this out to the deadline, and risk a, either a light return or no return at all. In the end, I think there is still – I'm optimistic about a deal happening between Bo and the organization. However, if you're in a situation where the season's winding down, that is a huge, huge, huge risk where you're saying you could potentially, potentially lose the guy for nothing. We've seen it play out with the New York Islanders and John Tavares. He got a sweetheart deal to go to Toronto. Hasn't worked out great for them, but the fact is he walked away for nothing. Johnny Gaudreau, the most recent one you mentioned – you know, it was a – you lose a player, they were able to reload and get something for Matthew Kachuk as well. And, yeah, they, they look pretty good right now. Are they going to be as good as last year? We'll see. But now beyond this, you can't – like, if, if that deal's not happening or if it's still in a similar situation and we're in February, we're even in January – Bick, man. Like, that is a moment where you start it's to – fever pitch, man. Yeah, like, heading into the summer without that deal in place – that is risky. You're talking about a guy that I'm not of the uh, the you know opinion that you trade him, but is that a risk you're willing to take? Where you're saying, hey, we're we're confident we can get a deal done. You got to have something in place at the very least by the deadline. And Horvat has mentioned a hey, blocking out the noise and just focusing on what he can do. Look, he's still a human being, man. Is do you risk the element of a, a, a distracted player? It'd be really impressive if he's able to do that, especially in the tail end of that, of March leading into February, where he's just able to stay focused. It would actually be a big feather in his cap if he's able to do that. But that's still a risk from Vancouver's point of view. You mentioned it. American Thanksgiving, Christmas area, maybe even a bit before, prior to the season. That's something that I think makes the most sense as far as resolutions here. Especially with the mentality of this team. Hey, the focus is the playoffs. Playoffs are failure. We're focused on playing. We're focused on a good start. Heading into the season without a deal with your captain is going to create noise. You know what takes away from focus real quick? Stuff like that. 
So I know the management team is probably saying we got to find a, a deal that is good for us long term. Maybe it's Bo Horvat staying in Vancouver for eight years. Maybe it's not. But I think having clarity is going to be important here because you're looking at, you know, an important member of the organization. And Bic, what did we talk about limiting the noise? This team has to do that this year. Like a big part of this discussion is can they take the haymakers? You drop a couple of games at the regular season at the beginning of the year. Guess what? The noise ramps up again. On top of that, you have your, uh, you know, your captain on a one-year deal. Eh, noise is going to get pretty loud. We'll continue that conversation uh, with Greg Wyshynski coming up at 1.30. It's not the only thing Jim Rutherford said uh, with Canucks Central. We're talking about replenishing assets down the middle. Uh, the other thing they have to do is on the right-hand side. Here's what Jim Rutherford had to say about the youth on the right side of defense. You just don't know, you know, what comes along and what happens to different teams and and they may take a different position on some of their players that they wouldn't have in the off season. We'll continue to stay active. You know, like if, if Pullman stays healthy and our defense stays healthy, I believe the defense we have can get the job done to be a playoff team. But when I refer to the defense about changing the defense, I'm talking about making it younger. You look on our right side and, and we don't have any young, right shot defenseman coming so you know we we'd like to do that but we can only do it when somebody becomes available and uh but we're keeping our fingers crossed we can stay healthy and and go with the group we got hopefully we play with a little more structure that helps our defense and uh and we'll see you know we'll continue on a week-to-week basis uh until we can get the kind of defenseman and maybe make it a little bit younger um, until we can make some of those changes. That's Jim Rutherford on Canuck Central yesterday. Not a ringing endorsement, but it's something he's been honest about, uh, what, since February of last year? Since day one, yeah. Yeah, that they want to get younger, that they want to improve that right side of the decor. It's tough. Like, that's what every single team wants to sort out themselves. There's not a huge talent pool of players that are qualified and capable of doing so. But this, to me, is is an organizational awareness of this is something we have to solve at some point. And if you start looking at how to acquire young defensemen, what kind of assets do the Vancouver Canucks have? Right? We talked about Bo Horvat. Obviously, if that move is being made, the return would have to feature a probably a right shot D before a center Mm-hmm. Right, like I think ideally both would be Again, nice. Again, it's the thing I mentioned the other day. There's two holes in this entire organization. Huge, yeah. Glaring, yeah. Right shot D and center depth. As far as down the road, he mentioned that they're not trading draft picks. Nope. So, essentially, in the organization, you have one premium bullet to fire, and it's if you were to explore a trade, it is Bo Horvat. And we're talking about the high end here yeah. because Bo Horvat. If that's in play, if it's a Connor Garland, if it's a Brock Besser down the road, whatever it is, you want a substantial piece. But here's the issue I have with this. High-end forwards never get one-for-one trades for defensemen. We saw that. It goes back to Taylor Hall, Adam Larson. And yes, there are anomalies. There are outliers that you can win a deal when you're trading a forward. But how often do we see that? It doesn't happen very often. Mm -hmm. So you're going to maybe take the short end of that stick. The other option is you go cheaper. And it's not going to excite anybody, but this is where the Ethan Bear conversation comes in, where to say, all right, Carolina now can say he's a part of the team, he's an important piece, they're going to give him an opportunity. 
But once the season starts, is that still the case? Mm -hmm. Is he out playing Jalen Chatfield? Is he actually getting into the lineup? You know, so the slow play of this is not a bad idea in the sense that if you trade one of those high-end forwards, it's going to be rare that you win that deal. It's going to be rare. And it might be a better fit for your team, but, you know, high-end forwards, top six guys, top nine guys, depending on where they line up within the Canucks, pretty deep roster right now in the forward group, that's going to be a tough trade to win. I do wonder if you just say, we're going to go with the buy low option. Are there buy low options out there that might fit? And that's why the Ethan Bear conversation is a real one, in my opinion, because you're not giving up much. If you are giving up something, Vic, what's going to be? Like a mid-round draft pick? If he's not playing, I think that price drops once the season starts. Vic Nazar and Randy Janda will be back on the other side. Before we go, the Vancouver Canucks did uh, put out a press release uh, expressing their sincere condolences on the passing of Jennifer Smeal. It is with profound sadness that the Canucks and the Aquilini family uh, announced the passing of Stan's wife of 42 years, an active member of the Canucks community, an integral part of charities associated with the team, uh, including her work, helped found Canuck Place, uh, survived by her husband's Stan, the children Jillian, Natalie, and Spencer. Our heartfelt condolences are with Jennifer's family and loved ones at this time. The family appreciates the public's compassion and support, respectfully asked for privacy during this difficult time. On behalf of everyone at Sportsnet 650, our condolences extended as well. You're listening to The People Show.